Today's conversation centers around the topic of growth as we sit down with the Director of Athletics at Texas A&M University, Mr. Ross Bjork. Ross, originally from Kansas, grew up with a lifelong passion for all aspects of athletics. His growth mindset is unmatched as he is constantly looking for ways to get better regardless of the source. He also stresses the importance of communication and leadership and how it can lead to both clarity and mutual respect between all parties involved. Let's settle in and get to know the leader of the 12th man, Mr. Ross Bjork. Mr. Bjork, we're so glad to have you joining Don and me for this episode of Hanging with the AD. It's always a pleasure when we have the privilege to sit down with a collegiate AD. And uh, so thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Howdy, uh, Josh and Don. That's what we say here in uh, Texas A&M is howdy. But uh, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to the conversation this morning. Yeah, this is going to be great. So for our listeners, Ross Bjork has served as the Director of Athletics at Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas, since July of 2019. Before that, he was AD at Ole Miss. And at one point, Ross was the youngest D1 AD in the NCAA ranks. He served in numerous leadership roles around college athletics during his career, uh, including the NAADD president in 06 and 07, the NACDA executive committee, SEC awards committee chair, NCAA men's basketball oversight committee, and the NCAA transfer working committee. I can't imagine what that transfer working committee is like. Uh, but uh, he also led the Aggie athletic department, like most of us did, through a global pandemic in 2020 and through 2021. But I'll stop right there and let him tell us a little bit more about his journey through athletics. Miss Bjork, we like to start the show with what we call the back of the baseball card bio. So if you could take a minute, tell us what the back of Ross Bjork's baseball card would look like. Yeah, I, th- I think to me, it, uh, it just starts with a foundation of uh, really how I was raised and, and where I grew up and, and the meaning of sports in, in my life and in our family. I grew up in Dodge City, Kansas, and there's not much to do out in Western Kansas except uh, play sports and, and hang out with your friends. And uh, that's exactly what I did. I mean, if I wasn't playing an organized game, I was with my buddies playing stickball, baseball, basketball tackle football without any pads. Um, it was just a, a lifestyle that I just loved. And I, and I was really fascinated by the kind of the behind the scenes aspect of, of athletics and, and sports. And I'd always, uh, you guys are high school athletic directors. And, and I remember who my high school AD was. I remember my coach and I didn't play basketball in high school, but I'd, I'd watch those people at the scorers table. And I'd be like, who are those people? Where do they go? before the game, where do they go at halftime? And then what happens to them after the game? Like I was fascinated by really how it all operated. So uh, my, my foundation in athletics really just was, was growing up around it. And then fortunate enough to play college football at Emporia State Division II school there in Kansas and learned toughness, discipline, hard work. We had a tough-minded old school football coach. I played fullback. And our practices were three hours long and we couldn't wait to 
playing the game because the games were easy compared to practice, but it, but it really taught me, I think how to deal with adversity and how to deal with challenges and things like that. And I just wanted to work in athletics. I thought I could be a general manager of the Chicago bears or the Kansas city Royals or the New York Yankees, and then figured out that there was this athletic director role in college sports. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, wait a second, I can work on a campus. I can work with people who are young people who are just like me as a student athlete. And we get to do this. Not, not that we have to do this. We get to do this. And uh, so that, that was really the foundation for me of, of becoming a college athletic director. And then I just, I just kind of navigated the, the pathway using contacts, using resources. My first uh, summer internship was for the Albuquerque Dukes baseball team in the summer of 1994. And I think anybody who works in minor league baseball, either they love it or they realize I don't want to work in baseball, <laughs> but look what I learned from it. And that's what happened to me. And I started uh, going to grad school at Western Illinois. My first full-time job was at Western Kentucky worked at the university of Missouri for six and a half years, was able to, to kind of work my way up the ladder there. University of Miami for two years, UCLA for five years, wow. became the AD back at Western Kentucky in 2010. And, uh, that's where I had that, that title of the youngest, uh, FBS AD at 37, uh, back in 2010. And then was the youngest power five AD at Ole Miss for a couple of years before, other folks uh, took that uh, took that crown, and now we've been here at Texas A and M almost three years, and, it, and it's hard to believe it goes by fast. So uh, maybe a little more than a baseball card uh, bio for that, but uh, the, I think the foundation is is what really what what set uh, me on this course, and we've been blessed ever since. That's great. You've got a star in my book already. I, I'm a fan of fullbacks. So that's, there you go. So, so that, that's, that's great. I think we don't really a, have fullbacks anymore. I know, I know dying, you know, dying breed. I, under, I know, exactly. but I, I'm a fan. Now you're part of a growing trend of collegiate ADs who are very available on social media. We discussed this when we first got on the call prior to starting the episode itself. You're the leader of one of the top athletic departments in the country, which means you probably have a full schedule every single day, I would assume. But why is it important to take time to be available to connect with people on platforms like Twitter or even to answer questions on YouTube like I saw you recently on Aggie Town Hall? Yeah, I really believe that it's our it's really our duty and obligation to help others. Uh, and, I, and I think that just goes down to simple leadership. Uh, people always ask, you know, what's your leadership style? And well, leadership styles can be situational, but I, but I think in, in this situation where we're contacted by people who want to learn, people who want to broadcast on a, on a podcast like you all are doing, and, and obviously you're doing this to, to create a platform, hopefully for others to learn and gain knowledge and, and gain experience. And you know that, that old saying, if we're, if we're through learning, then we're through then I think that applies to, to being accessible. So whether that's accessible to our fans and our donors here at Texas A&M, to our student body who's so strong and powerful here at Texas A&M, or to an aspiring AD or to a podcast, or I think it's very, very important that there's visibility, there's accessibility. Look, the AD should not be the most important person our coaches and our student athletes should be, but people need to hear vision. They need to hear 
where is the athletic department going? And if there's a void, if there's a vacuum of communication at any level, again, whether it's aspiring AD or communicating about an athletic program in our town hall meeting, then I think you can create uncertainty. So I think communication provides clarity, provides certainty. And then in the case of these kind of things, I just, I was in, I was in your guys' shoes. I was in aspiring AD shoes. I wanted to learn. And the only way to do that is to hear from people and to connect with people and to talk to people at conventions and talk to people on the phone or write folks notes and have them write you back. Those things are powerful. And so if I can, if I can give back in whatever way that is, whatever platform, then I think that's uh, that's part of leadership and, and that's our obligation. And on the, the other side of that coin, you know, it's called social media for a reason. Some people say, you know, the social part means yeah. it's two-way conversation. So you have conversations that respond to good situations, bad situations. What have these interactions done for your leadership as, as the AD there at Texas A&M? Like what, what is the benefit for you in doing this? Well, I think it, um, hopefully you can answer some specific questions about the, the program or logistics or a game day situation. And I, and I will tell you, my, uh, my social media has evolved. When I first became the AD at Western Kentucky and especially at Ole Miss, I thought that I had to respond to everything. Mm-hmm. Every tweet, every mention, somebody's asking about this, somebody wants to know about this. I thought, boy, I've got to respond. And then you kind of realize, hey, you know what? You probably need to filter some of those things. And and, right. and I had some moments on social media. There was a picture of me. Uh, there was a Mississippi State fan who was just relentless for about a week <laughs> and would not give up. And I had a wrestling belt that somebody had given me that we kind of used as a prop and a toy. And you guys could probably pull this up if you do any sort of Googling. And I put this wrestling belt on my shoulder. And I tweeted it out. I'm like, you know, are you sure, you know, are you ready? Are you sure you want to kind of take this on all in fun, all in a joke. And I mean, that thing mushroomed up into all kinds of issues, both, both good and bad. Some people are like, look at this guy. He's a, he's a clown. He's a fool. And then other people are like, oh, this is great. This is funny. This is levity. So I probably have tapered off my responding to social media. I've learned maybe that just comes with the old age or maturity or, or mistakes that you make along the way. So I do think it's a great way to interact. It can be a positive, but it's also, we also know that it's, you have the negative too. And sometimes, man, I ignore way more, believe me, than I respond to. Um, and so you just, you just have to use a filter, but I, I think it is a great way to engage if you, if you use it the right way. Yeah, that's great. Good stuff. Now, you talked about fun and levity. We have to ask about the significance, maybe the origin, maybe the why behind the cartoon character that you have as your Twitter <laughs> profile image. I, I I think it's cool. I wish I had one of me that looked as cool as yours. Yeah. yeah. So let's see. When I left Ole Miss, um, there was um, they had some baseball coaching discussions there at Ole Miss. Obviously, I was gone. Um, and so they they extended the contract to the baseball coach. Right. And on D1 Ticker, which is a, a really cool platform for those of us that follow college sports, it's a daily email. And Matt Roberts, who runs D1 Ticker, he has an artist who did some work and they did this collage and they had 
the baseball coach at Ole Miss. They had the current athletic director at Ole Miss, maybe some other administrators. And they had, they had me in a maroon coat as the Texas A&M AD kind of off to the side, kind of like, like observing <laughs> like, Hey, I'm now at A&M. Now I'm observing what's happening at Ole Miss. And I was like, that's, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. You know, I don't know if they were making fun of me. I don't know who they were making fun of. It didn't, it didn't really matter. <laughs> right, right. It worked. I just yeah. thought it, I just thought it was a really cool. So I contacted Matt and I said, Hey Matt, can you have your guy just like do something where I'm in just a maroon coat and it's me. And, you know, I'd like to use that as, as a, maybe a social media profile or maybe as a, as a zoom profile, it didn't pop up on today's call, but sometimes I'll put it on the zoom uh, profile. So I just thought, Hey, look, again, have some fun, it's cool. make fun of yourself, laugh right. at yourself. Um, so I, I get a lot of comments on that and people ask, uh, how'd you come up with that? But that that's the origin of it. D D one ticker. We can yeah, give them credit. Yeah. Two things there. I, I'm an old baseball guy and, and uh, ha- had some great years coaching baseball. And I think Ole Miss did the right thing. Coach Bianco is one of the best in the business for sure. And then the second thing is, I wonder if Don and I can reach out. Maybe we can uh, get some caricatures for our hanging with the AD uh, profile there. So I bet you could. I bet yeah, you yeah. could. You, you probably have a local artist. You probably have a high school student that could draw one up for you. Yeah, I'd be scared to ask some of my kids. They might <laughs> do something that <laughs> doesn't need to be on social media. That's right. Um, all right, Ross, looking at your resume, and, and you've talked about it, you worked through it, and anybody that does any kind of Google search, they would agree that success has followed you through your journey in, as an athletic administrator. I mean, tons of success, uh, no matter where you look. What characteristics would you attribute to the good fortunes you've had uh, that you've found in the different places you've been? You know, it's, uh, that's a, it's a fascinating question because there, there's not a linear – approach right i mean I, I think i think leaders we all emerge i don't i don't think there's anybody that's that's born a leader i think leadership is about emerging and growing and informing really opinions and attributes based on experience and so i've been really really fortunate to be around some great leaders and and honestly leaders that I worked with, and it really started at, at the University of Missouri, actually really at Western Kentucky. After three months that I was there, my boss quit, and I was just the intern, and they said, we have nobody else. You need to run the day-to-day development office. <laughs> I was 23 years old. I had no clue what I was doing, but I was thrust into sort of a high-profile situation. And then at Missouri, Joe Castiglione, Mike Alden, the two ADs I worked for, they allowed me to be in the room when high-level decisions were made. And so I think that that really formulated a lot of characteristics around leadership and, and maybe success. And so what I always tried to do is I always tried to be extremely accessible to my employer and my bosses as I was emerging in, in college athletics. There was no clock. We got there at 7.15 in the morning and we left whenever we left. Sometimes it was six, sometimes it was eight. And so those formative years of really rebuilding the Missouri program and modernizing a lot of things at Missouri, man, it was hard work and just being around. And so meeting a, a ton of people, meeting donors, meeting administrators, the accessibility piece. And, and we kind of talked about that hard work, just outworking, I think, 
competition, if you will. Um, administratively, it's hard to compete in, in different aspects, obviously, but I, I think hard work and kind of having that mentality that we're going to outwork our, our competition. And then I, I thought for me that if I wanted to build my career that you look, it is about networking, right? I mean, that that's kind of a, a catchphrase, if you will, but I, I think it's about friendship building as much as network building. And I put myself out there nationally. I started speaking at the NACTA convention. I got on the NAD executive committee in 2002 and I was 29 years old and I was by far, I was the youngest person on that committee by 10 years. And, but I, I just put myself out there and I said, how do I get on this committee? What can I do? How do I volunteer? So I think building a, a national reputation has allowed me to, to be in these positions uh, along the way. And, and I think that that's intentionality. So we all have to have an intentional career plan. There's no happenstance. Can you get lucky? Can you have a chance meeting here? And sure, of course. But if there's no follow through, if there's no plan, if there's no thought, you can't just rely on people to come to you. And so I think it's a combination of all those things, just attitude, accessibility, hard work, national sort of reputation building. And then I had to produce like I couldn't just not be successful in all the jobs that I had. I had to make things better wherever uh, I, I was uh, I was working so that we made things better at Missouri. We made things better at Miami. We made things way better at UCLA because we modernized a lot of their external approaches and now they're killing it on the external side. And so every place we made better because of those kind of fundamental aspects um, uh, along the way. So other people may have to judge um, Josh and Don, you know, what success looks like, but um, if we do the right thing and we take the student athletes at the center of everything we do, then to me, I'm not, I'm never going to not be able to sleep well at night saying we did everything we could to support our student athletes. And that that's really what it's all about. Yeah, that is so good. That idea of the, the answer is hard work. You know, I've got a, a student intern right now. He he has visions of one day being a superintendent. That's what he wants to do. So they've placed him in a handful of departments mm -hmm. at our district office. And he was like, how did you get to where you were? And I was like, dude, I, I worked hard. I, and yeah. every single thing that was put in front of me, I tried to crush it. And right. I said yes, until I was in a position where I had the, the ability to say no. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I, you want to do this? Yes. This opportunity? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And just crush it as best you can until you get to the point where you're in a position where you can say no and divvy up stuff and, and delegate if that's what you choose to do. Uh, but I think that that's a great answer. Now, now we are, we're in a, a time of the year where people are hiring coaches making changes in coaching positions and making changes uh, for ADs where ADs are moving into different roles as well. Uh, what advice do you have for a new leader coming into a place with very fixed traditions? So at Ole Miss, there's a Grove at A&M, you've got the 12th man, a leader by nature usually has some desire to refine systems and processes. So what are the keys to evaluating traditions when joining a new program that balance for what is already there and what your vision is? It's a great question, and, and you're right. I, I've stepped into to really the last two programs where there was really, really defined traditions and and uh, things that were in place that you were not going to change for sure. Right. But I, I think the key to all of that 
is you've got to come in and you've got to get to know people. The people really define the culture. You know, the buildings really don't matter, right? It's really about what defines the culture and that is getting to know the people. So what I've tried to do at all three AD jobs that I've had is honestly, don't come in and with a mandate, don't come in with, Hey, I'm, I'm absolutely going to make these changes because you don't know, right. you don't know what you don't know. And so to me, the first 30, 60, 90, hundred days, whatever you want to call it is a lot of one-on-one meetings. I had a, I had a questionnaire and I did this at Ole Miss, actually Western Kentucky, Ole Miss and here at AM. And it was basically, what do we need to keep? What do we need to change? Who are the top five most important people? Who are the top 10 most important people? Who has good attitudes? Who do I need to get to know? I would ask questions like that. Um, And clearly, when you say, what do we need to keep at A&M? It's all the traditions that we have. Mm -hmm. And then what do we need to change? It's, well, we've always done it that way. Well, just because we have traditions doesn't mean we can't innovate and that we can't modernize. Can you hear the train in the background? Yeah, that's great. That's, that's, that's College Station. That, that's right outside my, my window. <laughs> it truly is College Station, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly awesome. right. Speaking of, uh, of traditions. Yeah. And so I think the, the most important thing that leaders can do now, again, if you walk into a place and it's on fire and it's burning down and and there might be a mandate given to you by leadership who hired you. Of course, there's going to be some things, but I think you're walking into some continuity, listening and learning the culture through the people and through the operations and understanding what's good, what's bad, what needs to be fixed. Then you can really assess, okay, we're going to make this change. We're going to reorganize over here. One of the things that that was not modern here at AM was our external relations setup. Not fundraising. We have the best fundraising organization in the country in the 12th Man Foundation, but it was really all the other business pieces. And so I, I knew that going in, that, that that was going to be something we had to look at. But same thing. Tell me what's working. Tell me what's not. Tell me what needs to stay, what needs to go. So I think it's a back to the kind of the intentional approach. Listen to your people, get to know the culture, go out and speak, go out and meet people, go out and meet vice presidents on campus, go, go out and meet the mayors and the city council folks and the chamber of commerce and get to know your donors and be around ball games. And, and when you absorb all of that, then you can say, okay, hey, I know we need to fix that. I know we need to fix that over there. So I, I just think assessment is uh, is key to transitioning into a new role. Man, that's some good stuff. Some great takeaways there for folks who may be moving into those new roles like Don mentioned, or maybe we know someone who's moving into, I mean, pass on a questionnaire, one-on-one meetings. You, you gave four great questions to ask that, I, you know, that would be a great uh, reflective tool there. And then be present. So uh, thanks for the takeaways uh, there, there for sure. Let's talk about teaching and learning a little bit. Uh, you mentioned it early on just about uh, being kind of a lifelong learner. Now, Pat Williams, who's the longtime executive for the Orlando Magic, you might have run across mm-hmm. him in, 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 in your circles there. He's written several books. One of those is titled How to Be Like Coach Wooden. 
I think we'd all love to be like John Wooden and you spent time at UCLA. So you have definitely been indoctrinated into Coach Wooden's uh, lifestyle and life there. One of the chapters in that book is if you want to be like coach, strive to be a teacher. Now, you have a group of ultra successful coaches there at Texas A&M. You just hired, we talked about it before we got on, the a great women's basketball uh, coach there, one of the best in the country. Safe to say she probably knows more basketball than you do as the leader. Uh, <laughs> yep. You know, you have Jimbo Fisher. He, he probably knows more offensive football than you do, even though you played football, right? You have Buzz Williams, Jim Schlossnagel, and so many other great coaches on your staff. And we can apply that to ourselves, right? Most of us have coaches who know more about the sport and have more knowledge than mm-hmm. we do. All that being said, how do you as a leader strive to be a teacher of these adults who are already experts at such a high-profile uh, level and high-profile area? Yeah, I think, it, I think it goes down to mutual respect, and, and I think uh, that goes down to communication, being accessible to them, uh, going into their office, coach, what can I do to help you be successful? What do you need? You know, is there resources that we're lacking? Uh, clearly, when I got here, those are questions that I asked, you know, Jimbo and Buzz, because they, 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 were, they were hired, obviously, before I got here. Um, and so I think it's, it's earning their respect through that, that mutual communication and that collaboration of, look, I'm, I'm never going to stand on a mountaintop and say that I'm the boss. Like I, that just doesn't work right. to me. We need to be on the side of the mountain, helping people climb, right? That's, that's what leaders do. And I think when we have that approach that, um, I'm not the boss. Am I the AD? Do I have the title? Yes, of course. But coach Fisher, we're in this together. Buzz, we're in this together. Pat Henry, longtime legendary multinational championship coach, coach, what do you need to be successful? What are the barriers? I, th- I think that that mutual communication earns respect both ways. And yeah, if there's a tough moment and I need to have a conversation, then I think they'll respect it when I say, hey, coach, hey, when this happened right here, hey, we, we, we can't do that. That that's that's not what we do here at A&M or that's not the right approach or, or whatever. I, I think when you have those conversations, then they'll respect you to say, OK, Hey, this this guy is not just a pushover. Like, there's going to be collaboration, and he's trying to help me. Um, so, I, I think that's what it goes down to. And then I think constant communication about what's our mission, what are our values, what's our purpose, so that all of that is consistent throughout the athletic department. I think that is critical. We do a monthly staff meeting here at Texas A&M. We take June and July off. But in the academic year, we do a monthly staff meeting. And at that staff meeting, we have all of our coaches give a head coach's update. And what that does is that people see this coach is having success over here. Boy, I'm, maybe I'm, maybe it applies a little bit of implied pressure, if you will. I think it creates a healthy culture that, hey, we're all in this together. We're all communicating at the same meeting. We all can socialize a little bit. Uh, so I think those are the kind of things that have helped um, kind of have that teaching and that educating mentality, um, even though we don't have a professor title, we don't have PhDs, we are teaching in different aspects and having that mutual respect between coach and AD and open lines of communication. That's the key to, to everything. 
man, I love the head coach update. I, I, there's some ideas that hit you, and, I, and Don will tell you, I'm an idea guy. But there's some ideas that hit you that you like. We got to yeah. do that. Yeah. We're we're doing that because okay. we have those monthly meetings. That's I'm taking that one myself. I'm still in. And that we do, uh, and what we do is a little twist on. We do in season, so the sports okay, that, that are in season, we have them stand up and like we just we just won the SEC uh, championship in women's tennis, right? Hmm. So when we have our May meeting, Mark Weaver will stand up and say, "Well, we had a great season. We were 27 and one. We were SEC champions." And so it, it's really cool to hear those moments. So in season uh, sports updates is, uh, is what we do. That's perfect. Yeah. It works yep. perfect for our timing. Hey, I wanted to ask, I've been to Texas A&M, mm-hmm. one of the most phenomenal campuses I've been on from an athletic standpoint facilities. And I think when people say you ask Jimbo Fisher or Jim Slush, and they go, whoever it is, what do you need? Most people in our world probably hear indoor practice facility, new turf, or big picture things. Do the elite coaches, do they ask for things that we would never think of that may be like small things? Yeah, I think it, I think it's both. Um, I actually had some friends on, on campus uh, yesterday, and uh, they were like, you don't have to build anything. And I'm like, eh. Not so fast, right? It, it looks it looks good, but there's things internal, or we have a couple of older indoor buildings that are really at the end of their useful life that we're actually working on on projects to to tear those down and, and rebuild both an indoor track and an indoor football. Um, so yes, there there are things that coaches ask for to just make an impression. So when we hired Jim Slosnagel, you brought up Coach Slosnagel. The offices, the building itself, pretty good bones in it, but a lot of the things were dated. Tile, flooring, paint. Who would have thought that, hey, if we just paint the hallway or put down some new flooring, that the impression level just goes up a notch. And so things as simple as that, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Joni Taylor has already walked through the office and... Hey, we're, we're adding a few more staff members. What if we made this office kind of more of a bullpen kind of multi, you know, multi people in in one office, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So um, yeah, there's big picture things. There's little things. um, And and I think that's what makes great coaches when they're paying attention to those details. Right. When kind of what they say, right. uh, How you do anything is how, how you do everything. And so those kind of mentalities, I think what, would make uh, successful coaches. So yes, there are things that come up that like, Hmm, hadn't thought of that. It's a great idea. Yes, we can do that. Or, Hey, we can't quite do that yet, but we'll get to that, you know, next year or, you know, whatever the conversation might be. Yeah. I've told people all the time, there's a lot of power in a coat of paint. No doubt. (laughs) There just is. Um, Now, author Sam Chan, he often quotes Alvin Toffler, who speaks of this idea that successful people must learn, unlearn, and relearn things. And we have spoken of how success has followed you. What things have you had to unlearn and relearn to be an effective leader? I think self-evaluation is probably the hardest thing that we all go through, right? reflection, what did you learn, those kind of things. And it's just human nature, right? We just go, go, go. We, we want to move forward. We want to move forward. So it's probably the hardest thing. And it's, but it's also uh, humbling too, to figure out. I think sometimes, um, sometimes the AD doesn't need to be involved in everything. 
sometimes you, you, you can't touch that hot plate. That's a hot plate. And you need to let other people deal with that. You need to let the person who has way more experience or way more knowledge that's on your staff or they have a relationship. So I'm not a micromanager. I think if you ask our staff, they would tell you that I'm not a micromanager by any means, but I care. And so I think learning what to get into and what not to get into and what you should be involved with and, and what your voice should be. I think that's what I've had to learn and unlearn. And I'm still, I still deal with that. Right. I mean, I, I think we all do. And so that's probably the hardest part is because I, I want to show that I care. I want to have that accessible approach to, to everything, but sometimes it's best, Hey, you need to stay out of this one for now. Hey, you don't need to go down the hallway and talk to this person. Maybe you do at some point, but not yet. Right. And my mentality is, well, hey, let's just go fix it right now <laughs> because we'll have to move on to the next thing. Yep. And hey, I can I can just deal with that. And so I think learning that filter has been uh, critical to to my growth, to my learning. Like I said, kind of going back to the social media, man, I was all into everything. You know what? Back off a little bit. <laughs> You don't need to respond to everything. You don't need to be involved in every conversation. Um, and so I think that using that filter is something that, uh, that I've had to deal with. And I think it just goes to priorities of, of what's important. I think trusting your staff, having the right people around you, I think those things will allow you to, to kind of decompress on, on some items and, and, and let the flow happen more naturally. And I know this may be kind of a softball question, but I think that there's a lot of there's a lot that we can learn from it. He also mentions that previous success can be our biggest enemy because it makes us think that we've got it all together. Right. It's going to equal comfort. And you mentioned uh, your women's tennis program. Uh, You know, they've had a great year up to this point. A lot of success. Uh, Do you agree with the idea of winning equating to comfort or would you say that success gives you the confidence to take on the unknown, maybe do something that you're uncomfortable with or maybe something that hasn't been done before? Yeah, I, I, I think complacency, for sure, you don't want that to, to set in. Um, and that may mean, now, if you're complacent by winning national championships, okay, we'll, we'll take that kind of complacency. I'll take that, yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, but I, I do think you have to be on guard to make sure that, well, we did it. we did it this way at Western Kentucky. We did it this way at UCLA. I know that it can work here. I I think that drives a lot of people crazy when, if you're constantly using those kind of examples. Now there, there are times where yes, this can work because we, we had success here, but I I think you have to be very, very careful about using the past successes to define what the future is, because what's the situation. You may have new challenges. You may have new opportunities. You may have a new building. You may have new resources that you didn't count on. So I think you have to be very, very careful about that aspect of, of leadership or going into a new program or, or a long-term coach that's now having success, or maybe they had success, they hit a lull, and now they're rising back up. You know, why? Why, why is that happening? So uh, I think that's a great point you make, and, and I think it's, it's all situational-based, and it's all about what are – the the challenges that you have or what are the opportunities because you'll have both 
Right. And how will you apply that to, to, to moving forward? That's really good. So, uh, Ross, one more question uh, before we get into our two-minute drill. And uh, it's just kind of talking about mentorship and, and, and maybe having a coach. Um, I think there's great value in having a mentor, a coach. Uh, maybe some people talk about even having a board of directors, uh, a group of people that they have that helps them uh, just navigate life. Pastor Anley Stanley talks about finding a leadership coach for life. What are your thoughts on the importance of having a coach, no matter what position you hold within an organization, no matter where you are in the hierarchy there? And how do you recommend that leaders find a leadership coach? Yeah, what's that saying? Uh, If you're the smartest in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. I mean, we've heard that saying before. And and so I, I think you're you're right on point with uh, making sure that we surround ourselves, uh, whether it's people on our staff that we learn from, whether it's mentors that you worked with uh, along the way. You mentioned Coach Wooden. I I was very fortunate to be able to spend about four and a half years uh, with him while I was at UCLA. I got there in in the fall of 2005, and I left in uh, the spring of 2010, and I saw him about once a month. Some were, were formal setting some were informal but every time you just learned something and so i think you can have intentional life coaches where you're reaching out to people like you said a board of directors and maybe it's three or four people or you can have a lot of informal um, learning and, and and coaching so to me you should have some platform where you're constantly learning and everybody's going to have different ways to do it. Everybody's going to have a different style, but I do think finding the right person and modeling behavior, good and bad, because we can see both. We can learn from both. I think that is so, so important that we rely on that learning you know, moment that we have with that individual or watching a podcast or listening to a podcast or reading a book, whatever it might be. So I think it can come in different forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be kind of a one-on-one counseling session. It can take on different forms, but whatever it is, we should have somebody. I learned from Buzz Williams. I I learned how he organizes his calendar, how he reads. He's reading four books at one time. And what he does is he just schedules it. You know, he doesn't do it on happenstance. He schedules it out on his calendar. That's intentional. So I, I learn from from those kind of things. So uh, I, I love the the life coach aspect of it. Um, for me personally, I rely on my dad. My dad uh, my dad passed away uh, recently, and I never heard him yell. Never heard him uh, say a cuss word. He was a friend to everybody, and he uh, had faith and family. Mm. To me, if I can kind of keep in those buckets right there, then. I'll be successful in, uh, in, in whatever I do. So, uh, life coaches learning so, so important. And I, and I think that helps us all grow and become uh, better leaders. Mm, that's really good. And, uh, really, really neat to hear you talk about, uh, your dad and the others who have had a great influence on you there. I know Don's a huge fan of Buzz Williams. Uh, we both like to read, but Don kinds of, uh, he tries to keep up with coach Williams, I think. And uh, publish his reading every month. Yeah, good luck, right? Yeah. 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 So uh, I've given in. I'm not even going to try there. But uh, 
Uh, Ross, thanks so much for your time today. I mean, there's so many takeaways, so many leadership lessons you share with us, and we really appreciate it. Uh, this has been fun, and, and we always finish our show with a little two-minute drill okay. uh, for a football guy. You know what that means, and uh, Don kind of leads us off with this. So I'll let him take off. Okay. okay. All right, so, Ross, we're going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions. We want you to tell us the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. What was the first job you ever had ever in your life? A newspaper route. Oh, that's good. What is the strangest thing that you are afraid of? Oh, my gosh. Um, probably spiders. All right. Fair enough. What is the most effective daily habit of any leader to that they need to develop? Working out. Uh, amen. What's the best career decision you have ever made? Hmm. Best career decision. I would have to say Texas A&M, right? I, I mean, told Don you had to say that. How do you not say your current employer? Actually, I will say the best career decision was doing that summer internship in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then in 1994, because the person who was the ticket manager, he's the one that told me, you need to be an AD. You're a college athlete. You need to go to grad school. You need to go back to Emporia State. You need to volunteer in the athletic department. And then you, be, you need to become an AD. Dwayne Miller is his name. And without Dwayne Miller kind of telling me that and kind of pushing me in the back saying, this is what you need to do. So I would say summer of 1994, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think the folks in Aggie land would like both those answers. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we jump off the high dive and sometimes we are pushed off the high dive. That's, that's, right. that's the way that's I right. like to look at that. That's right. uh, what are you learning right now? I'm learning that uh, you have to adapt. You have to adapt. Uh, we have a new president who came in last summer and she's been awesome, high energy, visionary, but there's there's things that are going to be different, right? And, and they're good. They're good things. College athletics is adapting. The SEC is adapting. We added two new members <laughs> last summer that uh, obviously there was a lot of angst. We could do another podcast on, on that on that topic. Um, so I think learning to adapt is what we have to do in today's uh, world, not only college athletics, but just the world in general. So adapting, pivoting has been what I've what I've learned. I, this could lead into the next question or maybe totally different. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Hmm. I think um, I think uh, self-propelled uh, flying, whatever that whatever that would be called, like a jetpack, like a built-in like jetpack, so I could fly from my office over to see Buzz Williams or to see Schlossnagel on the West Campus or our softball coach. So I think uh, flying powers. I'll take that. I'm sitting at a golf course about to go out and watch our girls golf. I'm going to drive and watch gymnastics. I'm going to go do signing day. I'm going to watch tennis and I'm going to do girls soccer tonight. Yeah. So I'd take that so today for sure. You need, you, you need the, the self-propelled uh, jetpack. Every right. AD would take it. <laughs> what job would you be terrible at? Hmm. Boy, I don't know. Um, probably, um, probably accounting. Like when I get into numbers, I, I have to know it obviously. And we got great people who do it, <laughs> but just like, I just get distracted too easy. So I think going through numbers all day long, I think I'd be bad at doing those things. What is something that takes up too much of your time? Too much of your time, it's 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 good and bad. I think just the level of communication, mm -hmm. right? And again, if you want to be accessible, 
then you better respond. So I think keeping up with text messages, emails, phone calls, Zoom meetings now, which which are great, they're efficient, but I think the volume of, of communication is what I would say. What is the best single day on the calendar for you? I think Fridays. Fridays, right? Because you're either leading in uh, to the weekend and you got a bunch of activities and a lot of excitement on campus, whether it's a football weekend or this weekend. Our baseball team's hot right now. We hope we can stay that way. We're playing Arkansas. I think there are two or three in the country and the tickets are sold out. So, and we have a donor event. And so I think Fridays are the most exciting day because you're gearing up for something that uh, that is coming through the weekend, whether it might be Easter weekend, that was great, right? It might be a family thing or it might be Texas A&M athletics. So I, w- I would say Fridays. Cool. Who do you text the most? Oh, by far my, uh, my wife and my oldest son, who's 16. And he's always texting me like, dad, did you see we got this recruit? Did you see this? Uh, Hey, I didn't see that. I didn't see we got a commitment. So he, uh, he follows it as much as anybody. So I I would say those two, my wife and my, my son, my oldest son. All right. Now we've asked this, uh, pretty much every guest that we had this season. So if we get on a plane here in Atlanta, uh, and we come to college station, uh, we're coming to your house for dinner. What, what is the go-to dish at your house for dinner? Probably you're going to have some nice tender fillets Mm. off the green egg. So the green, you cannot go wrong with the green egg. And you'll probably have uh, Brussels sprouts and probably a sweet potato, maybe a French fry, maybe a sweet potato casserole, Mm. something like that. But sweet potatoes, Brussels sprouts, and a nice fillet. Yeah, I'm ready to come. Yes, sir. <laughs> and of course, right, we, you have we, to have you know, nice glass of wine, or maybe a glass of bourbon, or you know, cold beer. You know, you got to have a nice refreshment as well. Always. And we may need to have a hanging with the AD contest. <laughs> Ross Bjork on the green egg versus Jared Benko on his smoker because he's That's always right. posting what he's smoking on Sundays. Yeah. Um, there. All right. Uh, let's finish with this. Our trademark question today, Mr. Ross Bjork, you've been hanging with the ADs, but let's say you could hang out with anyone. Who would that be and why? Hmm. Man, that's uh, that's that's hard because uh, there's so many people um, that you'd want. You know, look, I, I I just talked about my dad. You know, losing him, you you want to pick up the phone and call him, and you can't, right? And so I, I think you have to start there. I think if you could uh, if you could sit down and and learn the leadership lessons that uh, that Jesus Christ went through, yeah. you could sit down with him. That would be that would be powerful. So, I would say those those two people, right there, Dad and uh, and our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's where I'd start. Amen. Amen. Now, Russ, thank you so much uh, for the privilege of your time today. This has truly been time well spent. Uh, as we always love learning from our counterparts at the collegiate level, uh, we know that your words today are going to help our listeners get better. And so, we appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you all for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Have a great day. Well, if you're like me and you were sitting down and you were able to take notes, you probably have several pages filled with just great insight, great quotes, uh, some challenging comments or challenges to us as athletic leaders. But man, just some great wisdom for Mr. Ross Bjork from Texas A&M. Two challenges I wrote down that I think that would deserve reminders are 
the idea from Coach John Wooden that Ross talked about toward the end of the conversation here, where we can learn something every time we're in the presence of others, right? We're in a conference, we're in a meeting, we can learn one thing. And then the idea that we need to schedule learning time. We need to make it intentional to find time to learn. I know Mark Miller, one of our favorite authors here, he talks about scheduling margin. And that's exactly what Ross Bjork was talking about there. But when I look back at my notes and, and I look at who we just talked to and I reflect on Mr. Ross Bjork, it is all about people. It is about growing and emerging as a person, as a leader, but it is about how do we put our people at the center of everything we do. He talked about that, putting the student athlete in his situation at the center of everything. Same for us at the high school level, but if we are serving as athletic directors, we have students, we have coaches, we have other staff members, and we have our community members that we have to keep at the center of everything. He talked about that when taking over a new program, which he, which he has done on several occasions. He talked about that on building a staff and working with top shelf coaches and bringing the other coaches up to those uh, higher levels, putting people at the center of everything we do. And we can see why Ross Bjork is loved by everyone that he leads there at Texas A&M and even in his previous spots, uh, which we learned there. Ross Bjork, thanks for uh, allowing us time to talk to you and find out what makes you such a great leader. We wish you best there with the Texas A&M Aggies. We look forward to following you and your athletic program. So thank you for your time, and um, we, we greatly appreciate it, and we learned a ton today. Now, before you go, please, once again, if you haven't done so already, please stop, rate, review. We'd love to see some comments. A lot of people are uh, rating. Uh, we don't have as many comments. And if you have time, we'd love to hear what you think of the Hanging with the AD podcast. So leave us a review if you can. And as always, thank you for spending your time hanging with the AD. Hanging with the AD.